Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today on our 41st episode. And as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, we are very excited to announce that we have a special guest on the podcast. And she's certainly someone that Jack and I have looked up to in the health and fitness industry for quite a long time now. And I think she's pretty much the definition of a role model. So without further ado, today we introduce to you Alicia Gowans, who is a three-time reigning world WBFF champion for the female fitness category. So thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, what an introduction. Such kind words. <laughs> I hope I can live up to all of this now. <laughs> oh, I have no doubts. Yeah, Look ever up. since, well, speaking for myself, ever since I started listening to the Competitive Edge podcast, I think that both gave us motivation to make our own. And yeah, we really wanted to get you on since listening to that. I really love that. You know, look, there's um, there's something that I talk about all the time and I talk about it with my own team and um. And it's the fact that I believe that, you know, you get to a certain space in life and your purpose is actually more about what you can do to give back and pay it forward, right? So, you know, look, for me, when I see people starting to take the reins and, and step into, you know, more leadership roles or, or achieve what they want to achieve or even just, you know, sort of start to do the things I'm doing, I, I love that. I love seeing that. I love seeing it in my team. I love seeing it, you know, in the in the broader public arena and you know the fact that you guys have stepped out and you know created your own podcast and are sort of moving forward and doing your own things and you know, we chatted offline about some of the aspirations for your own coaching business and what have we in the future that excites me i love that and um you know for me i think that that's what's important for us as we're sort of paving the way um in what we do what i do respectively in my own pursuits um is that we actually do open up opportunities for people like you and that there are the youth and the, the new fresh faces coming through to to continue to take the reins once you know we step aside that's for sure thank you so much that honestly means so much for you to say that no i'm super super excited and how are you finding your podcast so far it's been a journey the old podcast podcast land but i love it yeah, it's amazing, to be honest. Like, we've probably found it the funnest project in the world. Like, it's just so fun to create, and it's such a wonderful way to connect with other people. And we have just been blown away by the positive responses from people, not only in Australia, but literally worldwide. It's so cool to be able to connect with other people across the globe. It's amazing. And you know what? I think that that's what's super exciting about platforms such as the podcast is the fact that there is this connectivity and there are no barriers and there, you know, breaks down the the walls that would otherwise be preventing you from being able to have a message that is received by the masses. You know what I mean? And it, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, like you, you stop and you think about it. This, this sort of opportunity was just not even, nothing even remotely close to it 20 years ago. You know, and even when I was starting in my fitness, oh my God, guys, when I first started my fitness journey, I was taking clients <laughs> on the floor of a fitness first gym, you you know, you, there wasn't even Facebook, man. Like, there was no marketing like that. The marketing was you walking up to people and having a conversation. So if you didn't have communication skills, God forbid, you were going nowhere fast. So, <laughs> you know, it's a totally different platform. And um, and I've loved watching the evolution of the fitness industry. I, I've loved watching the education of the broader public and the thirst for um, education and understanding, you know. But with that comes the plethora of the minefields of too much information and the Google doctor becoming quite a scary okay. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but but then there's avenues like this where people can tap into you know a wealth of of knowledge and um you know an expansive list of of experts you get on your um you know your podcast to actually gain some relevant information for themselves that they can individualize which is which is fantastic so congratulations on the podcast guys 
Thank, Thank you. you so much. So to start with, we would absolutely love to know, Alicia, you know, what got you started in the health and fitness industry and why did you choose physique coaching and competing as a career avenue? Very interesting question, actually. And, you know, look, it starts, you know, right back in my roots, I guess. I've been a competitive level athlete now my whole life. And, um, you know, um, going through school, I was that unicorn that was actually, you know, um, completely academic. But at the same time, I was, you know, an Australian level representative athlete in probably three different sports. And so for me, when this opportunity became available, I was part of this, it was almost like a test case, a pilot case, if you would, for a brand new curriculum that was being run in um, central Queensland at the time to be rolled out across Australia. And it was called Excellence in Sport. And basically what it did was it took a very, very small population of students that actually qualified both academically, had you know the, the capacity to sit in it, so no one that was flunky on any level, and also had some, uh, you also had to qualify to, um, to be part of it. You had to be a certain representative level athlete so you had to be at either a state level or an Australian level representation in a specific sport and you got the opportunity to do year 11 and 12 across this course curriculum and it was the first year effectively of what was like a human movement degree back then so I qualified and um, stepped into it and the and it was an amazing journey for me because, you know, a lot of what I do and the reason that I guess I moved into the, the, the physique side or the more the elite space but performance-based space is because in that year 11 and 12 process, we basically took ourselves, we were our, our whole case study, right? And across the course of year 11 and 12, I had to apply everything that was about, you know, movement, biomechanics, we, we had to buy, apply biomechanics, anatomy and physiology, but then also basic nutrition to a sports-specific process of improving our current stance in our sport. So the way that we passed the actual subject at the end was we we learned, you know, certification level. So we basically got our, you know, we, we became qualified as personal trainers by the time we finished this year 11 and 12. But we also gained the principles for, you know, the basic certification of nutrition, so sports nutrition. And in that we had to apply it to ourselves to, to either improve on our current ranking or at least not go backwards. And in all cases, I think pretty much everyone in the whole class stepped up. So for me, it, I, I improved my ranking. I went from a state level um, athlete to an Australian level athlete for one of my sports and then I improved my actual position and my performance in my main sport that I was already an Australian representative in. So that's where it started from that level um, in the space of, I guess, both my education in, in the area, but then also, you know, my, my passion on performance and constant improvement and constant analysis of, you know, how I was tracking versus where I was wanting to go, right? So that's where it all started. It started a long time ago. And um, at the time, though, you've got to respect, this is before fitness was a big thing, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So, of course, like everyone else, I was also academically gifted. So I had parents that were going, that's not going to put bread and butter on the table. Right. <laughs> so I had that real conflict, if you will, where I had to pursue, um, you know, higher education. So it came time then to go to university. And, and this sounds terrible to say it because it's my passion area and I love it. And as you guys know, I'm, I'm constantly studying further in this space. At the time, it wasn't considered a... Um, Oh, what would I say? A very smart choice as a career. So there was a lot of pressure on me and I ended up going into and pursuing, I guess, when I went to university, not the three final years to finish that degree, but I went on to do a double degree in completely different area of corporate and then into my master's and started down the consulting and corporate route because that was what was considered to be 
successful and, you know, it, like where the money was, right? Yeah, that would have been really tough. It was really hard because it really just wasn't, like I was good at it, so don't get me wrong. Like You could have put me out on a pasture and I would have had the best exploitation company of cattle on the planet, right, because that's just in my nature. It's in my DNA. I don't know how to... I don't know how to not be the the best that I can possibly be at anything I set my mind to. So I would have found a way to make that a revenue stream in no time at all. But at the time, you know, I still had a passion in this. So I still had this and I was still doing it. So to give our listeners, um, you know, an indication, I was was skateboarding to Fitness First and working like 30-something hours a week on the floor whilst doing a double degree. I had two weeks a year off. I had five subjects a semester and I was doing summer school to get through my university and in my corporate career, but I was still keeping up, if you will, all of my, you know, skill set and my feet on the ground and my relevance in the industry in in this space. I continued to do so for 10 years and I had three very successful performance facilities, boutique studios in this space. But I never put them on my LinkedIn and I never talked about them in my corporate life because I didn't think I'd be taken seriously for still having a pursuit in fitness. And it wasn't until about, I would say, in all honesty, about eight years ago where I knew that this wasn't going to be something I'd get laughed at anymore. So it was okay to let people know that I had all these other certifications and qualifications in this completely (laughs) different realm until I eventually went, you know, screw the heels, stuff the stockings. I'm not doing this three-piece suit anymore. And I gave it all up and and pursued this full time. But I had been doing it part-time on the side for, it was my side hustle for about, you know, sort of 15 years. The company that I'm currently running, so the one that, you know, um, is the entity that I've done all my coaching out of, it's had its 11th birthday of operations uh, beginning of this year. So I'm coming up to 12 years soon. It's been running this whole time. It's just been not the full-time pursuit for me until, you know, sort of, yeah, it would be, be about eight. It'll be nine years next year that I've been in this full-time. But um, Wow, congratulations. Yeah. That is, yeah, Jack and I had no idea, just like you said, because I guess you you kept it a little bit hidden at the start. So we had no idea it had been going on that long. That's incredible. And I guess too, you know, the biggest point for me when people ask me, and I've had this asked of me a lot, I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of, you know, workshops and seminars, and I do a lot of global um, tours. I do a lot of public speaking, especially into in, internationally. And um, I always get asked the question about, you know, what was the turning point for me that made me go, okay? Because what what you've got to um, respect is that I was very successful in corporate. I had I had twenty five, you know, staff. I had a global um, consulting company there. So the global thing for me has never been anything new, right? I've always done the tra- and I've always had the the you know the connectivity with these different marketplaces and um at the time you know I had the perfect life so people would look at me and be like you know why would you possibly throw all this away to do this thing in tights right that's like that's <laughs> what everyone around me was thinking because everyone's used to seeing you walk around in a certain sort of way and like well for starters it's a lot more comfortable than a pair of freaking stockings let me tell you yeah <laughs> but, and just tell them you're more than just a Zumba instructor exactly, exactly right I'm like oh my god <laughs> But um, but I guess you know the key for me was I had a um I had a very respected, well respected mentor of mine. She's a sixty odd year old lady. We're driving along, and, you know, and we're going to a Fortune five hundred board meeting, and um we're stuck stuck at a set of lights, and she just turned to me randomly and just goes to me, you know, like Alicia, what is your legacy going to be? And in this moment, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't even describe to you guys because like I'm not an emotional person, and um you know for me. You know, I, I really honestly don't get um, 
I don't get tongue tied very often. I don't get to a point where I'm speechless or I'm at a loss of words. That's for sure. And and she took my breath away quite literally, and I just started crying. And I had no actual explanation for this outpouring of emotion. And I had actually, and I remember just looking at her, and I remember saying very honestly, like, "I'm sorry, I'm leaking. I don't know why, and I can't really stop it." <laughs> and she's looking at me, going, "It's okay." But it was that moment of knowing that I was at, it was just an expression of inner conflict, right? Where my whole life I'd been living this this life for everyone else and this life that I thought I was meant to live and this life that, you know, measured up to society and status and stereotype and, you know, um, fit the box, right? Man, I wasn't designed to fit any box and I really honestly probably knew that, but I just wasn't really listening to my heart and soul and I was listening to what, you know, everyone else had said was the way to be. So, Finally, I think I just got to this place where I went, well, you know what? Like, why am I doing this? Like, I, like my true passion and what I love every day is the stuff I do for my side hustle. And I'm I'm killing myself, burning the candle on both ends to be this thing on both levels with two worlds that was completely separated that didn't really know about each other. <laughs> I felt like I was living the double life, right? Because I was a mm-hmm. secret agent between corporate and, and fitness. And um so within this is indicative of my personality type literally within a week i had shut everything down i'd closed down my corporate consulting business i had um walked into my fitness life full time not knowing at all what that was going to look like having a massive financial cut but not even feeling um concerned or stressed about it either it was just this it just seemed right to do. Um, very scary, I think, for most people. They wouldn't be able to do that. And um, and it really was. Like, you know, like, God, I, it, it was a massive jump and a massive change. And I and I copped a lot of flack at first from some of my corporate people. But now my corporate people, I, I'll um, let you know, I actually have a couple of them that I used to consult for uh, and do major projects with that are now clients of mine. Oh, <laughs> so, that's amazing. So, so, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it, it all, and, and it's really lovely because I'll post the odd thing and people that, you know, know me from that space will sort of make comments and be like, wow, you know, we've watched you completely evolve and transform and we've watched your career blossom in this completely unrelated space. But in the same way, we would have probably seen you do it in this one, you know, so it's, it's yeah. been really lovely. But that was my defining moment. That was the turnkey moment of where I went, okay, I'm going into this full time and I'm, I'm giving up everything else I'd been doing. But having said that, though, the reason that I'm a very different coach in this space is because you can see why I bring a complete plethora of consultative nature, um, high level consultative um, skill set to what is now a coaching front on, you know, on, on a lot of areas that, that still has a lot of psychological stuff involved in it. And, and I had actually done, you know, psych as one of my minors. So, so it being, brings a completely different skill set to the table. So, you know, when you look at sort of what I do and how my business has flourished both globally and also, you know, I think, you know, the, the, I guess the edge that I bring to my coaching side of things, it, you can understand that it's, it's very outside the box of what a normal person coming through a basic, you know, maybe human movement, you know, um, program would bring to the table. So whilst it, it doesn't look, you know, sort of very direct, it's actually had so much more powerful influence, I think, on what I can provide as a, as oh, a, it's, it's given yeah. you a huge advantage and it, it yeah, explains, you know, why you are so successful and why you are so inspirational to others. Thank you. Thank you. And I think, um, I try to always come from a place of holistic and I try to always come from a place of people thinking bigger picture, not just about the instant gratification the here and now. I try to also, you know, guide people down the route of, um, 
you know, personal branding too, you know, staying true to yourself, not compromising values or integrity. Because for me, you know, I, I always look at something from the point of view of a much bigger, longer term vision and the impact that your space and your communication and your, your, your whole presence has on this you know, capacity to make change and this capacity to actually be in something for the long term, right? And I think if you are compromising any of those things or you're doing something to just get a quick fix now, you're doing something to get a leg up now or chewing your way through to the top, you're never going to be in this for the long run. And you're also not going to create a business model or a personal brand that's going to be sustainable, aspirational or, um, you know, one that's marketable, right? So mm -hmm. if, if people are going to invest in you and your message or your company or, you know, um, you know everything that you profess to be, then, then I think that you've got to have consistency of message. You've got to have a clear vision um, about what, who, who and what you are as well as your, your entity. But you also need to have that um, capacity to, you know, be professional and to communicate, you know, not emotively and to have this ability to, be respectful of people's differences too because you know like the people that are on your feed and the people that are global are going to have different ways of viewing things to you so there are so many aspects to this right as an athlete or as a coach that people i think don't necessarily always look at right and you're right i think that my background in in the stuff i did before this is what gives me the ability to look at it very differently Mm -hmm. So Alicia, on top of, you know, all of that was going on with your coaching business and your career life. Tell us a bit about, you know, your, your personal journey as a physique athlete and how you got into that and where, like how you've gotten to where you are today. So look, I think um, if anyone's followed my journey at all, you'll know that I, um, I broke my back four years ago, right? So the story sort of starts with my back. A long time ago and it starts with it because I was uh, so when we go back to sort of the sports that I did I was a prima donna ballerina so when I started this this is a sport and and then a career I was I was a I was a chihuahua ringing wet I was 42 kilos I would have blown away in a, in a, in a light breeze <laughs> I was muscly as hell because as a dancer you have such strong solid foundations so you know when people look at the fact that, you know, I've got, and I always get comments on my legs and my glutes and, and that overall lower, um, you know, um, development, you know, that started way back then, right? You know, like I had really great sporting background that set me up with great muscle maturity and great overall structure. But with it also came a compromise, right? I had hyperflexibility and I had hypermotion years of doing that dance basically gave me um, hairline stress fractures in my in my back that I didn't even know about, right? So I was pursuing dance as a very, um, very focused area for me. And it's the one area where it's still, it's still a love of mine, but I'll never be able to do it again. And it's because of my back. And, and it was an initial injury that took me out of dance when I was 19 that I had to rehabilitate from. So it was always my back, which is interesting. But I had to rehabilitate from them, th that that then took me into learning about the whole concept of, you know, the development of the physique and the development of the, the physique in a way that started to structurally build strength in an area for, you know, a specific outcome. And for me, it was about building strength in the areas of weakness, right, so that I could actually get back to the point where I didn't have pain and could walk properly. So in it, though, I started to see my body change and I started seeing it like just I didn't even know how to explain it. But you got to remember back then, everyone was running around in skinny jeans and everyone wanted a flat ass, right? Yeah. So if you actually had booty of any description, people would look at you like there was something wrong with you, right? Nowadays, <laughs> I look back at pictures and I'm like, how did I even function with an ass that flat? Like seriously. <laughs> but but it's, it's a totally different, um, totally different view of the world now. 
so skinny jeans and having literally this is the funny part we used to call it um a garage so being able to park your car between your legs so having the gap the thigh gap that was a thing if you they almost wanted to have like bow-legged look in jeans because you got to be that big. It was dumb, right? Nowadays, I'm like, if my legs are not touching, I'm not thick and delicious enough and we need to get back to the squatting rack, right? So totally different focus. But back then that's what that's what that's what was in. That was the that was the thing. I've loved watching the the evolution. But at the time, me going into developing my physique and growing, that was like that was outside the box right and I love being outside the box so I pursued it even more with a passion because it was different and um and I love just getting stronger and I love the feeling of um you know having control over the development of my own you know strength and that came both internally and externally so that's how I kind of fell into it and then I had a um I just had a mentor at the time that was like you know, you really should look at doing this. You'd do great. And I was doing triathlons. I was doing Muay Thai. I was doing all these other things <laughs> as a prima donna ballerina. <laughs> but then decided, okay, all right, I can't dance anymore. So I've got to find something, right? Because I can't not do something active. So I did. I got right into triathlons. And then um, it was actually one of my mentors in that space that said, you know, you got to give this, you got to give this gig a go. You got to give this body, at the time, it was pure bodybuilding, but you got to give it a go. And I remember laughing, being like, man, if the big wind hits, I'm still flying away. <laughs> where, where are we bodybuilding from? And they're like, no, seriously, there's these different divisions, these different categories. So I started training for my first bodybuilding comp, would have been 15 years ago. So training for it, funny story, this is just me to a T. At the time, I was also training for, uh, um, oh God, I've got a mental blank on it. Um, I was training for basically, it was, a, it was an adrenaline thing. So Oh, total mental blank. How bad is, is that? Is it like, what, like, a, like a Spartan race or one of those kind of things? Oh my god! I did it every single year. And I've got an absolute blank. It's where you trek, you trek for like ninety nine k's. Oh, the Kokoda track. Kokoda, that's it. Oh my god! I can't believe I did that. Totally yeah. on that. So for the Kokoda challenge, and I was doing eight hour day treks, right, with weighted vests on my back, and um, I was doing on average, it was it was on average, I was walking hundred kilometers a week, right? Oh but I was, I was doing two eight hour days on the weekend. So my weekends would basically be a 4, 4 a.m. start and I'd put this big weighted vest on and I'd go out and I'd be trekking up and down mountains for like eight hours straight. At the same time, I'm, I'm competing for a bodybuilding show, right? So goodness, I'm trying to preserve muscle, grow muscle. I'm doing all this freaking weighted cardio. So I was eating for the masses. Like I was eating for Australia. I was doing some dumb amount of calorie consumption at the time. But there, you think about it though, overtraining, so my training, my fatigue management skills were low back then, <laughs> and um, and I was overtraining. I got a I got a fracture in my foot. <laughs> Ouch! So I was, and you had to get in heels. Four weeks from stage, and I got a fracture across my foot from overloading weight bearing with my freaking weight packs for all my trekking. <laughs> so Jesus! Imagine weird. imagine your step count because I'd imagine oh. obviously back then they didn't have like we didn't even have a Fitbit. There was no such thing, man. <laughs> so could you imagine me? And back then too, you got to respect like our, our level of focus and our evidence, right? So when we look at um, evidence-based practice and the research back then, there was nothing, there was nothing on any of this, right? There was no, there was no research on bodybuilding. My God, I think the only research we had was basically watching Arnie's documentaries. If we classify that as research, <laughs> like, there was nothing. And so 
For me, I knew I was just trying to eat enough to sustain what I was doing. I had, you know, basics, but it was nowhere near as advanced as what we've got now. I wish I did have it because it would have looked totally different. And um, anyway, I just wasn't resting enough, wasn't recovering enough. I did not respect recovery and sleep or prioritize it like I do now, which is a big deal. And so anyway, got a stress fracture in my foot, couldn't even put my heels on. It's a bump ball, game over for my, you know, attempt number one. My attempt number two came four years later. I was like, I'm not giving up on this thing. I'm still doing it. Prep all the way through. I had an amazing body twice, just no stage. <laughs> so frustration, <laughs> but you know what? It made all it made all the difference in my profile, right? Because I was still sharing my journey. Everyone that knew me was watching me do this stuff. So, you know, it grew my business exponentially. And back then, like I said, they were like we I didn't I think we might have just started Facebook back then. So like, man, it was all through people, it was all through my network and my business networks and my connections and people watching me, you know, so totally different type of marketing back then. You were your marketing in a sense, right? Yeah. So I had so many clients come out of the woodwork from just me doing these, even though it was failed attempts to stage. My second one got all the way through to six weeks out. Then I had a major broker deal go on where I had to be in San Francisco and we're doing a major merger and acquisition. This is what I, this is the year before I left consulting. And um, so I wasn't going to be able to be there. So again, I got six weeks out, was looking freaking amazing. Oh, man, still didn't make it to stage. <laughs> Finally... Finally, I was full-time in the industry, completely immersed in myself, had no other commitments, could completely do this right. And nine months after I gave birth to my daughter, so I prepped through my pregnancy, prepped outside the other side of my pregnancy, jumped on stage for the first time, won everything. And then continued to win everything until I went pro where I lost everything for three years until I was good enough to finally win again. <laughs> so, so I guess my message to everyone is this, know that it's hard, know there's a lot of obstacles that will always get in your way. Life work challenges and know that it's okay know that it's okay to prep and not even get on stage that's fine like look at me i did it twice like before i even finally got there but i didn't give up right so i guess you know my message would be that if anyone out there has had a journey where it hasn't been a sweet attempt and it hasn't been you know all smooth sailing and you haven't even got to stage don't give up just keep going back you know because stages are always going to be there right yeah, like exactly always going to be there don't, and also don't take a shortcut and don't, you know, don't do anything that's going to be long-term not sustainable or not good for your health because, as, as I said, again, stages are always going to be there. But but don't ever, if, if it is something you want to pursue seriously, don't ever give up because it's, yeah, like you'll eventually get it and you'll eventually get it right. So for me it took, you know, three attempts. And then my second message would be, you know, if you win and win and win and then all of a sudden you don't, don't give up again because it's just an opportunity for you to further to grow and develop, right? Because my journey to becoming, a, you know, a true champion at the highest level, that didn't happen straight away. You know, like I, I might have won everything in Australia at first, but then I went overseas and competed for the IMBA as Miss Australia and I think I got third in the world. So I didn't win that show straight up either. I was still too small. So I still had to go away and grow some more. And the reason I was too small for that show was because I'd done – 14 shows back to back oh and I just hadn't had an off season right so again that's still going back in time before there was as much data and as much research as there is now to know better and to know because better ways now you compete once a year right and I respect the value of a good recovery phase and a good development season and a good pre-prep phase like there is just so much more like 
as I said, you know, my roots might have been, you know, at that baseline, we, you know, we were science-based and, and there was, but there was just not enough of it, right? So so my, my, my development as an athlete and as a coach exponentially, you know, um, different to what it was back in my humble beginnings. And it will, what I do today, I'll probably have a conversation with you guys five years from now and be like, oh, dear God, I used to do that five years ago. <laughs> what was I fucking thinking? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think That's the beauty of it. Exactly right. Like you've got to understand that you're going to do things today that evidence five years from now will show there's a better way. And you know what? God save us. I hope that happens because mm. the only way research comes about is when someone challenges or critically um, you know, thinks differently to something that's being said today and then brings us something new tomorrow. And that's what continues to grow what we do as, you know, as practitioners, as, you know, coaches and as athletes. So I'm big on that. And I'm I'm big on being able to go, oh my God, yep, I pick me. I was an idiot. I used to do the, the chicken and broccoli when I first started. Oh my God, the cock and broth diet, I called it. <laughs> Horrible. And I don't recommend it to anyone and I would never prescribe it. But you know, 12 years ago, that's what we all did. <laughs> Thank you, Arnie. <laughs> that was research. <laughs> but you know, again, as I say, you respect that there's evolution. There's evolution in industry. There's evolution in, um, you know, sport. There's evolution in science. There's evolution everywhere. And, and you know, 100% you, you as an athlete should be looking to evolve from season to season, stage to stage, you know, year to year. And that's internal and external. You know, that's mindset. That's, you know, personal growth, physical growth. And it should happen as a holistic nature always. Yeah. So tell us, you know, how did you evolve through going, like you mentioned, you competed with the INBA. Tell us, how did you find WBFF? You know what? Okay. So funny story. I was always about the WBFF. The WBFF mm -hmm. life was always for me. It was anyone out there that's looking that anyone out there, my advice is this, if you have never competed before, are unsure, right? Look Look out to the the um, you know global space and find the physiques you most admire or most like or that you look at and don't I mean don't for the love of God don't go and find something genetically so polar opposite to you and go I want to look like that because you know what no matter how good your coach is they're not a freaking magician they can't pull a rabbit out of their ass that's not going to happen so <laughs> be realistic right but um you'll find something where you go yeah man that's a stretch and I know that over the course of say four to five years and be realistic with yourself four to five years is that's minimal usually mm. it's going to take me to get there but man i love that body so that's what i did i looked at like man i'm like everyone else it was the black wings and the andrea brazier abs which you know nowadays it doesn't impress me like it used to but back then i was like whoa i want to look like that like man that's like that's strong and it's beautiful and it's it's curvy and it's thick and it looks healthy and she doesn't look like she's a bobblehead that hasn't eaten for five months. Like, I like that. I'm all about that life. Like that's where I want to go. So with that in mind, I painted a mural of her on my gym wall. And for two years, I set about the pursuit of the WBFF, but the tagline of the WBFF, which is the best of the best, the best of the best in the world, the best, the most elite, they're, they're front runners on everything they do. That's who competes with us. I took that so seriously. I was like, right, then I better go win something. So I, I like pursued the best that was in Australia at the time, which was IMBA, right? And they still are a great federation. They still have, they're a great blueprint for, you know, anyone starting out. And, and I used to 
always, you know, prep clients still for that those shows because I think that they are a great training wheel, you know, option for people, you know, to start with. So for me, I was like, right, okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to win something. So that was my whole viewpoint. But I was always aiming for the WBFF. So the WBFF was always my end goal. And I did go and win and I did go and, and create, you know, quite a, a great profile and I guess, you know, um, reputation for myself as as being someone that was you know, going somewhere, I guess, inside the sport. And um, from there, I was still little, so I still had a lot of growing to do. And I would still look back at my pictures and be like, oh, my God, I've still got to gain, like, 50 kilos. No, I didn't really. It was like, <laughs> it was like five. But five kilos feels like it's, like, 50 kilos, right? Like, that's, mm. a, that's a big gap. A big five stretch. kilos of muscle makes a big difference, yeah. Mate, doesn't it? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> so it still took me years. So respect everybody that, you know, when you set out for this, respect it's a journey it's a marathon not a sprint right anything in building mass is a marathon not a sprint and you need to be patient with yourself don't expect it yesterday it takes time don't look at your instagram feed and go oh my god i want to go look like her tomorrow because that that girl that you think has gotten there overnight has probably been like me and it's taken like 15 years right so respect that um mm -hmm. But I had that vision in my mind of the body I wanted and that's what I started working towards. So, you know, anyone listening to this, you know, you know, have a think about that. Have a think about what, what it is you want to go for goal-wise. So for me, that pursuit came in two ways. I professionally wanted to be known as being, you know, um, you know, really good at what I was doing and, and winning something before I pursued WBFF. Then when I stepped on the WBFF stage, I knew I had to level up again because it is a whole nother level. And it is about beauty. It is about glamour. It is about... Um, marketability it's about so much more than just your physique which is what I that's the only thing I had to worry about when I stepped on an IMBA stage was just the body when I got it to WBFF I had to not only grow my physique and develop it and become thicker and bigger and fuller but I also had to worry about all these other factors mm -hmm. yeah a lot of our listeners are probably more into the ICN realm and they might, yeah. might not be completely familiar with the WBFF so maybe you could just give like a general overview of what they're um, vision and mission is so guys who um are icn just so everyone knows about the prehistoric days of before it was icn it was imba <laughs> and that's what i'm referencing when i talk about what yeah. i <laughs> so for a lot of the newbies yeah they, they probably wouldn't have been around in the day where it was imba pmba um so you know where you all get on stage and and you know i i did this for quite a long time and and like i said it's a great it's a great federation um evolved since my time again but where you all get on stage in a line with one another you know you all sort of walk out and you're all walking on behind one another and you have this routine rote quarter turn and then you you know get pulled out in your comparisons and you get filed off with the wbff it is it is done in like a like an environment like you're at a show so it's like going to watch you know uh, a vegas production right we're on stage like we are the main event and we will come on stage like a victoria's secret runway and we will runway model our bikini and our body that's essentially what it is right so instead of being online at any one point in time in a lineup you are taking the stage and you are owning it and it is a runway with a you know like you've got like an eye walk end um, point but but it is treated like a runway so as you're coming down the runway and coming off to come to the side to pose another model's walking along behind you and and it, it's got that real flowy vibey production-y effect and it's it's beautiful to watch and i mean look it's not for everyone okay 
it's really not. If you are not someone that likes to have that limelight and create, um, you know, be expressive with how you pose because there's no rote posing. So if you are someone that likes the structure of a quarter turn, a quarter turn, a quarter turn, then ICN is perfect. But with the WBFF, there is no set posing, right? We have a couple of rules and there is in the men's, we can't have flexed or closed fists. There is no bodybuilding poses in a male um, posing, same for female figure, right? It is it is very modelly. So, you know, our rules are, are just essentially that you've got to own it and you've got to model your physique to the best of your ability. So, you know, there's a lot of isolated time on stage. There is a lot of... Um, you know, self-expression. There is um, complete freedom of, of movement. So you can literally create your um, routine to look however you would like within the realm of those couple of things I talked about. So, mm. so it is very different from that perspective. Um, but then there are the similarities where we are still judged in comparative to our um, colleagues on our stage against one another so they will still call you down in a in a um call out you will still get a top 10 lineup and then you will have to pose out like you would in in, a, in um icn stage only difference is you're posing to be comparatively assessed against one another is still your unique posing right so it's not like we're all doing the exact same pose so that makes it a little bit more difficult on you in a sense mm. because when you're all in the one lineup doing the exact same pose you're, you're, you're compared against each other in the exact same pose. So you, so you can't sort of hide or angle anything in a way, right? In our lineup, though, if you are really good at posing, you can pose your physique in a way that you might look like you've got a smaller waist than the girl next to you that actually does have a smaller waist than you just by how you're posing differently. So that's kind of exciting, but it can also be, you know, a little bit of a disadvantage for someone who doesn't have a natural ability to to move, you know, like, in a, like if you don't come from, I guess, you know, like a dance background, it's probably a little bit less easy to start with. Yeah. And so, I think obviously a huge component of it would be the confidence, you know, you really have to bring it, you have to want it. And I think I heard on your podcast with the competitive edge, that isn't a huge component of the marking criteria, actually stage presence compared to other federations. Yep, definitely. And this is where I talk about the fact that like in, in IMBA, you know, really all I had to worry about was the, the quarter turns are quite easy to learn. I just had to really worry about my body, you know, like bringing it in, being conditioned, being on point. Whereas with the WBFF, right, your body is 60%. So 60% of your hallmark, yes, is that still worried about that being on point, being conditioned and conditioning, you know, will always be king over size, always. Um, but 40% comes down to how confident you are what your suit looks like, what your hair and makeup looks like, you know, how you bring it all together. Is there a fluidity from, you know, head to toe of what you're bringing, you know, not mix-matched, you know, sort of shoes to, to suit? Is the dress and the gown and the theme wear complementary to you? But then more importantly, you know, how, how confident and sassy are you? And as a boy, how much, you know, attitude and boss do you bring to that stage? Like that's actually 40% of it. And then also, you know, you've got to have a good head. So, you know, getting <laughs> there, you know, you'll be fine. You can get on there and win a male fitness model show for sure. But, um, but you know, if you step on that stage and, you know, you're, you're not the most fortunate looking person, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> you could probably do okay but you know whether or not you could win the show is another thing like so so well, wbff yeah. has the word beauty in it so exactly, exactly. <laughs> pretty boys 
oh look absolutely or just even you know not even you don't even have to necessarily be like like super pretty but just have a really unique look like we've got a couple of men in the division that that i really rate because they're just so obscurely unique like their look is like you can't they, they stand alone right they don't look like anyone else and that's kind of really cool right being able to be this complete unique unicorn is um is is pretty yeah i think it's pretty epic and so you don't even necessarily have to have this quintessential stereotypical beauty you can you can be you can have a really unique look and completely dominate as long as you own your look and take that confidence to that you know that whole stage package so yeah and i, I actually think that's awesome because you have that ability to to create a brand and a profile around you and your look and everything that you have to offer um, within a focus without losing yourself, right? Whereas I, I find, you know, for me personally, that was the thing that drew, you know, me to the WBFF was that I didn't have to fit inside of a box and I didn't have to look like everyone else or um, and I didn't have to, you know, I guess just... I don't know. For me, I, I didn't have to have a prescriptive, this is how your bikini has to look and you must, and it must be like this and these must, I, I could just create. And I love that ability to just, yeah, come, come every single stage. I bring something new, right? I try to have this, I always have this goal where I'm like, I'm going to have a diverse array of looks in my wardrobe as such, right? So if you look at anything that I've ever done from show to show, win to win, I haven't had any two stages that look exactly like the one before. Not from my suit, not from my hair, not from my makeup. I change it every single time. And there's so much fun in that, right? Like as an athlete, I mean, I love that. Like that's, it's awesome. And there's freshness and there's this ability to reinvent yourself. Like how cool is that, right? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I know a lot of people get frustrated if like um, with other federations, if they don't meet a certain criteria, if they don't look a certain way, they just get pushed right to the back and then you don't see them again. So I could definitely, that aspect of WBFF really resonates. And it seems like it's very, very celebratory of the athletes and just the entire atmosphere and the entire community that the WBFF creates. And also just athletes, they get a lot of stage time as well, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, look, the opportunity for you um, to use this as a platform to actually have some sort of career or some sort of recognition or some sort of profiling is far greater. And it's because there is that, you know, celebratory um, process of the athlete and their journey. Now, my also thing, and I actually just did a Zoom meeting with my team this morning on this, around, you know, um, the opportunities in it for the people that conduct themselves, you know, appropriately. It's endless and it is limitless. And, you know, for me, the greatest profiling and the greatest growth um, phase of my career didn't come when I was winning. It came in my journey from stage to stage of self-improvement, physical improvement through my challenges, through my broken back, through my comeback, through my stories with my athletes, through my coaching successes. That is what grew me. Now, that is me showing you that you do not have to step on the stage and be a winner with a massive Instagram following to be successful. You don't. The success and the Instagram following comes organically through the sharing and the genuine authentic sharing of your journey along the way. Okay. People will find you appealing and, and, and be, in, you know, inspired by your highs and your lows, not always the five minute highlight reel of success. Right. Mm. So, I would definitely suggest that, you know, um, to anyone listening, that 
if you are looking left or right and you're seeing all these celebrities and Insta famous and you think that there's some sort of thing limiting you from being that, don't. Don't do that to yourself. Instead, just get really real on your day-to-day and share your journey, you know, professionally, but share your journey, you know, with the highs and lows throughout the whole scope of its lifespan because that's actually what creates in time, success, a profile, you know, and also I think the capacity to have, you know, commercial opportunities out of this. But the WBFF gives all of those things, right? And it actually does have this community. You talked about it right there, babe, when you said it has this feel of, you know, celebratory, um, you know, um, process because it does, but that's genuine your entire time within the family. So, you know, when you join it as an amateur through to when you become a pro through to if you ever are the person that gets to go on and become champion level material, it never ends and it never stops. And it, and you make some of the very best friends on the planet inside this brand. You also, you know, um, learn a lot about, I think, uh, the highs and lows and how to manage them, you know. So, you know, sportsmanship, you learn a lot about that. You learn a lot about... Um, how you don't have to have the first place trophy to be able to take first place in your life because, you know, that's that's a really big thing. And um, and I think that this brand in, in, in itself, because it does celebrate so many um, differences in, in you, when you look at the top 10, right, at a world level, how diverse is it? So mm-hmm. diverse. Different heights, different shapes, different sizes, different looks, different hair colour, different, you know, nationalities. I love that. I love that. There's no one, you know, boxed in stereotypical look that they're going for. They're, mm-hmm. they're wanting to celebrate you constantly bringing your best to the point where then one day your best is enough to win it. And there is no, you, there is no set, you know, anything in stone. So it's super, it's super cool. And I think it stops you being um, I, like isolated or pinpointed into a narrow space and told to just sit there, you know. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I especially like what you said about um, documenting the highs and the lows because I definitely go on some Instagram profile and it's almost like it's a it's a website for a company. Like they only document the like the, the typical sort of photos that you see, and I think expressing the lows as well really people can gain motivation from that on your own journey and stuff like that. So yeah, it makes you it makes you a lot more relatable because you know life isn't just a highlight reel. You know you have to be realistic with what it's actually like. <laughs> behind the scenes if 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 you like I always and I say this for the new um people coming through and especially the youth right and when I say the youth I'm talking people that are sort of you know like 18 to probably about 24 they're the ones that I find in my coaching teams you know really um get swept away by the bells and whistles that these pages present right is that they're never real. And if you believe that those people don't fart and smell sometimes, (laughs) don't fight with their partners or arguments with their mum and dad or have made mistakes, have cut people off, have had car accidents, occasionally get sick, definitely get pimples, then you're crazy, right? You're crazy. These people have all those things and more. They just don't freaking tell you for some dumb reason, right? And I I will go on the record and say, the proudest moment I have of myself and my career and my own personal growth was the day that I had in that car where I decided I was going to, I was going to step forward and do what I wanted in life and not what I was thinking society or my family or people's opinions mattered on. Right. I stepped into this space with my whole heart and I became wholehearted in how I live my life. And I a hundred percent became very vulnerable in the fact that I shared for the first time in my life, 
you know, um, weaknesses. And I, and I went on to be very open and share my entire journey with my broken back, which most people I think looked at me and went, oh, that's it. She's done. She's out of the game. No way. They clearly did not know me because that was not going to stop me. And, um, and I think that when you can actually be really real and when you can show that there are highs and lows, and when you can show that you're human, it gives people that would otherwise sit back and go, well, like, I'll never be a Lauren, so I'm just going to give up. I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to go to the gym. I can't be like her. Like, she's perfect. Like, oh, my God. You know, it gives those people the ability to go, well, you know what? No. Like, everyone starts somewhere. Everyone has a shit day. I can fall off the wagon today. I get back on it tomorrow. You know, and it gives people the ability to take the first step, which is the – that is – the defining moment of the rest of your life. Just take the first step. You know, it doesn't need to be perfect or pretty. You can fall the fuck over as long as you get back up. Just take the mm-hmm. first step, right? And um, and then it also gives people the opportunity to go, if I fail, I'm not failing. I'm failing forwards, right? As long as I get back up and try again, as long as I don't let that one weak moment define me, you know, I, I and that's what matters. So I think if you're going to go and have a presence on, 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 um, Instagram and try to become an influence anyone listening to this please do so with integrity please do so with complete vulnerability and please do so with authenticity don't be afraid to be yourself and don't be afraid to share your journey and if there's someone that gets on you and, and trolls or harasses you and I've been the the victim and I've shared this on podcasts before of some social bullying you're always going to get it there's always going to be a hater that's going to you know just hate on your shine just block them delete them move on don't think about yeah, it again. I think I think in that case it's just important to remember that you know you're the bigger person 100% 100% and anyone that gets any kind of airtime right and this was actually and, and I'm going to be really honest with you guys I haven't shared this before I think it's what stopped me for a long time um being as public as I became after that moment that I talked about was because there was just that fear of okay well man I am going to get bashed at times from people, you know, and, and I just, I just, I just didn't want to have to put up with it. So I delayed putting all of myself out there, you know, and what a, what a waste, you know, living your life so small and, and not, not, not expressing all of what you are because you might have to deal with that, you know, and when the moment that I went, okay, I'm, I'm going to take it on, I'm going to take it head on. I'm not actually not going to let it affect me and genuinely felt that, um, you know, life changed and, and I changed and it was all for the better. So, you know, just accept that it is going to happen. And the bigger you get and the brighter of a star you become, the more they're going to attack you. And that's just inevitable. You do grow resilience and you do get thicker skin as you go through it all. But yeah, don't be afraid of it, guys. Like I see a lot of people holding themselves back and I was guilty of it. I did it for a long time, you know, so don't do that. Don't be fearful. What's the worst they can do? You don't actually have to ever see them. They'll never see you. And if they did see you, they'd walk away off the street. Yeah, <laughs> You know exactly. I mean? They would never say it to you in real life. <laughs> no way. And especially, you know, I know, I know the more that people get to know me, there is no way they would come up to me and say, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm good, whatever, delete, move on. <laughs> Do you mind as well if we touch a little bit more on your um, journey with your back injury? Because yeah. I know so many of the listeners would, um, have experienced injuries before I, myself, as you might know, have experienced yeah. a back injury. So and yeah let's actually like a- share that with people let's actually share with people how much we know each other because you know i had an indirect part to play in your journey mm-hmm. and I, I, let's actually let you share that very quickly first because then yeah, i'll go yeah so a couple of episodes ago we did a, i did 
talk about this briefly and um, that was a prelude to getting Alicia on the show and so yeah I had a back injury for like about six to six to eight months last year and I contacted Alicia for some help because I heard uh, one of the episodes on the Competitive Edge podcast and she was yeah amazing she gave me so much help that honestly didn't expect as much help that she provided but she put me in contact with Pei who's an amazing physio as well and she gave me some resources to look through as well so yeah I really appreciate the help that you provided and during that time you know you weren't able to squat and now you're squatting the most weight and for the most mm. reps that you ever have in your life yeah it's amazing yeah that's so good that's so good you know and that's the stuff that that I love so you know I hear this often, you know, because I get people reach out to me from a whole bunch of different avenues and, you know, wanting to know about things specific, I guess, to injury or just mindset, because I guess the mindset that, as you know, what it takes to overcome those sorts of things. And, um, and I give freely of my time and quite generously because, you know what, like, if I don't, who will? And, um, and I know that I've been there and experienced it and I've got the capacity to actually help you. I'd rather see people not be in pain. And having lived with chronic daily pain for four years of my life, I know what it feels like and I don't wish that upon anyone, not even my worst enemy and I don't really have very many of those, but I wouldn't even wish it on them. So, you know, what happened to me was we talked to her and I, and I, I discussed the fact that, you know, fatigue management was not a school set of mine, it is now, <laughs> I can tell you now. But fatigue management is basically, you know, something that's a very serious thing. And when you're in this sport, it's very easy to get to a point where, you know, and, and also you get so swept up inside of the process mentally that you really don't pick up on cues from the body. You kind of almost get this mind-body detachment that goes on. And I had it for quite a while, not even realizing it. And there will be things the body's trying to tell you. And it's giving you warning signals, but you just, you aren't even tapped into it. And you're like, oh, that's a little niggle. It doesn't matter. I'll work around it. I'll work through it. I'll work over it. Like we do that, right? We're all guilty of it. And then before you know it, the body goes, well, you know what? Screw you. I'm out. Done. Tapping out. And then you end up with an injury. And in my case, I had a predisposition, as we already talked about, some stress fractures, hairline fractures from years ago that healed. But there was obviously weaknesses there. I had had an injury in another area of my body, which led me to then overtraining my lower half. My lower half was actually my area for development anyway. So I just didn't respect my recovery phases enough. I just didn't give my body enough downtime. And I was just pursuing the improvement with the um, – <sighs> lack of foresight that I also needed to give my body the deload time that it needed to. And effectively what happened was I got off of my stage in 2015 and it was only a couple of weeks post-show, was in a what would have been a warm-up squat for me at the time, only 60 kilos on my back, had warmed up her primes. You know, I was always um, technically, a, you know, solid lifter, no problems with form, but there was that underlying weakness. I had an adductor that pulled tight and I had a rotation in my hip my and in the bottom of my squat. So picture this, 60 kilos on my back, full range depth squat in the bottom as I was going into the bottom of the range. I basically had a rotation in one on my right hip because of the adductor and then my piriformis on my left side locked on and the whole pelvis rotated. And with that, you know, predisposition and weakness, I just cracked. I just cracked. I had pars fractures, L4, L5. At the same time, um, lucky me, I don't do anything in halves. I win at everything I do, including a broken back. <laughs> I had a... um. I had a multi-bilateral bulging disc structure. So from L4 to S1, every single disc popped out both sides straight into nerve roots. So I had an inch nerve root. Um, like it was it was an, an inch into my nerve root. Like so constant pain. So 
for about the first year of, of post, um, you know, trauma, post the incident, um, I was wearing, you know, braces more days than not. I, I couldn't walk for the first, you know, few months. And then, um, you know, I was obviously having to get down on the ground and do these um, release things and these exercises and all of this stuff to rehabilitate every like hour at first. And it took a lot mentally, like the initial, you know, hit was just the fact that, oh man, I can't do what I love every day. Right. So it was the, it was finding my identity without having lifting, being a part of it at first. Then it was finding my identity still in the sport as an athlete, pursuing a stage without being able to load at all for the first, you know, sort of part of my first prep in my comeback, as you guys would have learned listening to the podcast, I did my very first comeback show, which I actually won my Atlantic city title. Um, with blood flow restriction training and band work to basically activate, turn everything on. It was not my best conditioning or my best physique, clearly, but it's still good enough for me to win. But I did all of that because I still couldn't load. I was still waking up every day unable to put on my shoes and socks. I had days where I was just in tears. I couldn't move. Um, right up until only, this is going to be hard for everyone that's listening to believe, but right up until December, January this year, I was waking up in chronic pain like that. And, um, I'd won all these titles through it all, right? But not necessarily having solved the problem and not necessarily with ease, okay? I then um, came across Pay through um, Paolo, good friend of mine, and um, who came on to be one of my coaches in my coaching team. Pay is amazing. She had actually had a similar injury to mine. So she had, as a physio, being told the same things I'd been told, okay, you won't ever do this, you won't ever do that. I've been told never squat, never deadlift again, I'd probably need surgery, all this, you know, limiting belief stuff they're telling you. I had this MRI telling me that I was pretty much screwed, screwed for life, never lift again. I'm like, no way, I'm not taking that. You can take your MRI and shove it. I'm going to find a way. And um, pay basically, you know, completely changed my life and got me to the point where I recognised that for four years, yes, I had structural stuff that needed to be fixed. And yes, I still had some, um, you know, underlying disc issues. The, the actual past fractures themselves had healed, but I still had a couple of discs that were ongoing issues here and there. Um, but she also made me realize that um, there was some psychosomatic pain stuff going on too. And there was some stuff going on where um, I had some anchors that were basically putting my back into like um, protection mode where it didn't need to be. And they were situations that were a little confronting to have to admit to that I had to work through that were emotional suppression and emotionally based. So it was, it was getting my mind connected to my body again, because I had that detachment for so long. So in this very first session with pay, no, it was so funny. I had Paolo and Amir in this room with me and pay and they're standing there and they're watching her and she's going, bend over. And I went, okay. So to bend forward, literally picture this. I put my chin to my chest. <laughs> she, went, she was bend over and I went, I am bending. And she goes, no, like touch the ground. I went, I'm trying. And all I did was literally roll my shoulders over. I think if we're standing up guys, picture this, I had my hands at the front of my legs, like at the front of my body. And you can picture like normal person can bend all the way, touch their toes. Right. I think I had my fingers just below my pubic bone. <laughs> and she's like, you should be able to touch the ground. I went, yeah, should and can, two very different things. <laughs> she goes, Alicia, she goes, cut it out. She goes, this is, in, 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 you've heard Pay speak in this really thick little Asian accent. This is pathetic. <laughs> this is pathetic. Touch your ground. <laughs> and I went, babe, like, I can't. Like, I'm in so much pain. I, if I could tell the listeners to describe it right, it'd be like waking up and walking every day of your life with a handbrake on, okay? My left leg was a handbrake. I couldn't 
I couldn't, it, it didn't function properly because of all the nerves that were being pinched. But I also, my back was flat. Like I'm talking, I had no curvature in my lower lumbar whatsoever. I literally couldn't bend, you know, and I had no extension flexion range whatsoever. Like I was just like a big stiff board, right? And she goes, we need to desensitize you. And she goes, and I just need you to trust me. And then she told me that she had had this injury, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, all right. I'm watching this little Asian run around this room and throw me around like I'm nothing. And I've just been told that she just won her powerlifting comps. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to have, I'm going to trust you. Okay. She literally grabs my head, grabs my shoulder. She goes, right, I'm going to bend you. We're going to bend forward. And before I could even think, she just grabbed my head and pushed me down the ground and my hands touched the ground. And then I stood back up and I looked at her and I had shock on my face. Amir inhaled. All you could hear was him go. (laughs) (laughs) Paolo just, his face went pale and he's Asian. So that says a lot. (laughs) And I'm standing there going, I just looked at her and went, how the hell did you just do that? She goes, you can do this. She goes, you've just got to teach the body that it doesn't need to fear this, right? Mm-hmm. So then we went through these desensitization things. And this is where I was mentioning to you when we first started chatting that your body's just protecting you because it's fearful of what it did when it first did it and it doesn't want to be in pain and it has that fight or flight, you know, um, issue going on and you would have had a level of disconnect mentally from the body, right? So there's fear, there's disconnect. And in my case, I was also holding on to a couple of, you know, emotional things that I just had to basically process and work through. So, which I didn't know at the time. So then I'm, she gives me, she gives me this little exercise where I literally had to do like this shuffle. And the way I would describe it is it's like you put your hands down like on your legs and you're trying to inch them inch by inch, like a little worm down your leg until you touch the ground. And I had to do it that way because I couldn't just go straight to the ground because my brain still wouldn't, you know, recognize that that was safe. Mm. And it still kept trying to like lock on and protect me so we left that session for the next three weeks this is the funniest thing and chris and i used to get so embarrassed and walk away from me at first we'd be in the middle of the shopping center it didn't pack there's people everywhere i'm standing there like in tights <laughs> just doing this shimmy in the middle of the store i would just drop i would just drop i'd drop my my wallet on the ground my car keys on the ground and i'd just start shimmying to touch the ground I'd stand back up i'd do it again stand back up because i thought to myself you know what no screw this i don't care what people think i don't care what they like everyone would look look at me and I'll be like yeah keep moving nothing to see here. <laughs> because all I could think was if I let this in this moment in a normal setting so day-to-day function I should be able to in the middle of a shopping center bend over and pick up a grocery bag right I should just be able to do that but I couldn't I thought to myself if I let this become a thing where I only do this desensitization when no one's going to watch me and it's not in a normal setting then how can I teach my brain that in a normal setting that's safe so I, I explained that to Chris Hoss and he was like okay all right and then I won't be so embarrassed now <laughs> and then within the space of a month you guess what happened I, I could start to bend further and further down without having to do this funny shimmy within the space of two months I could touch the ground completely safely and within the space like literally um, of a month I had I had 60 kilos, which was the broken back moment back on my back. And I I remember, I remember you posting that video on Instagram and immediately I was like, oh my God, Jack, you have to see this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, guys, from the day that I, that I did that first squat, I've not had a moment where I could not squat since. So how cool is that? Now I'm not going to sit here and say I'm completely fixed because I'm not. My injury is one where... I have got those, like, it's a real thing. Like there is structural stuff there, but 
but I've been able to build strength and stability in my pelvis and my hips that has allowed me to progressively load and go back into movement patterns that I had been, you know, unable to do for so long, both, both structurally and also self-preservation um, mode, right? Now my mind-to-body connection is so good that if I have a day where I go, okay, you know what, like I feel a little tight in my ducts or I feel a little here or there, today's not a squat day. I'll go and I'll do something else. <clears throat> I'll work on the opposing muscle and I will lengthen out the one that feels a little tighter by contracting the one that's in opposition to it. And then the next day I'll walk in and I'll have the best friggin' lift of my life, right? So my skill set when it comes to understanding when to deload and when to listen to my body, exponentially mastered. It was shit before. I was a D student, now I'm an A triple plus, right? So, you know, for me, I'm like, there are lessons in everything in life, okay? I do not ever, and you will never hear me talk about my broken back as a negative thing. It has been a blessing in my life. It forced me to become a better athlete, a better coach. It forced me to get better um, in my own physique development. But it made me um, it made me more vulnerable um, in a way that allowed me to help change lives. You know, it, it gave me an ability to make a difference to so many more people by just sharing my um, misfortune, which to me is not misfortune. It's been nothing but fortunate for me. So, you know, like I'm blessed by it and there has been a lot of lessons in it. And, you know, God damn, if you ask me what's the biggest thing that I've learned in my career, it's, it's mindset. You know what? And I, I always had a great mindset and I was always positive and I was always, um, you know, very resilient, but this taught me self-compassion which was one dimension that I think I probably always had room for development in. And I still do. I still have my days where I'm a bit hard on myself, but it taught me self-compassion and it taught me patience with myself, which then reflects in patience with others. Like I used to not have even an inch of what I have today. Like you could literally be throwing bombs at me and I'll still speak at you in a, in a mild manner. I would have literally thrown you off a balcony in five seconds flat 10 years ago. So, you know, it's it's a totally different space that you sit in once you can learn, um, you know, how to take something that, that other people would have defined as broken and make it, man, the best thing in your life, right? And that's essentially what I, I think I have been able to accomplish and do. And I think that it that it's definitely something where then I can guide others in understanding that it's a roadblock. It's not a full stop. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be the end of your journey. It can be the start of a brand new one with a completely different mission statement, or it can be the development and evolution of you as a person or as an athlete from this point forward. It's just how you react and how you, you know, you you decide to make that situation um, a thing in your life, right? React and not res- um, respond and not react is probably the biggest, um, you know, the biggest thing you've got to look to do. Yeah, especially that what you mentioned about the fear component about back pain, like that was, I can relate to so many aspects you touched on and like, until I spoke to you, I didn't really fully appreciate, actually, I hadn't really considered at all the the role that bl- the brain plays in back pain. And like, I, for me, it was sitting, like as soon as I sat down, I would seize up and I would be yeah. in a lot of pain. And like, considering I was at uni and studying, like sitting was unfortunately yeah. a major part of, of study. And like, as soon as I um, had my first concert with Paige, she put me straight under a bar and that's when I started <laughs> squatting again. Yeah. And from there it was just... Yeah. from there it was just it was just up and like yeah the hardest part for me was just learning to be able to accept that 
uh, like stop turning on the flight or fight response, just yeah. learning to chill out and remember that because for me, I'm structurally okay, but the brain just didn't know that I was. So, yeah. And you know what? Most people listening to this, right? Most people have lower back problems and it's, mm. and, and a lot of it comes from um, the fact that we just discussed that they might be in, in a sedentary um, position in a work environment, or they might literally be in a study, you know, situation. And then there are people where it becomes actually nothing at all to do with that. And it can be completely the brain controlling the physical outcome. Right. Yeah. And that's what I talked about when I said being in tune with yourself and understanding when you're stressed or how to, you know, um, pick up on a cue your body's giving you early warning signs of is super important because it sounds airy-fairy and people don't necessarily always buy into it. But I'm telling you now, you can sometimes create the biggest injuries yourself to yourself, like actually, mm. if you're just not listening to those things, right? Yeah. Stress is a major thing that can put, um, you know, some of the burdens on people's lower back. Fear of other areas in life actually puts burden on people's back. Like there, it's there's a massive thing. For anyone that's listening to this that has, you know, maybe like a niggling injury or issue that might pop up and it might be neck pain, migraines, that they just can't seem to get rid of, but they can't also explain it. There's a book called The Divided Mind by jo Dr. John Sano. Dr. John Sano is an absolute freaking legend. He's like the leading expert that I've found in the space of psychosomatic um, work and the mind-body connection and how important it is to understand that, you know, you need to be able to address things both physically and mentally to overcome most issues that present you in life, whether it's a challenge in life or a physical injury. And, um, and he talks heavily about the fact that, you know, it is, it's our brain and, and it's our messages or our lack of messaging sometimes where we're just not connecting in that can lead us to really believe that we're disabled or we're going through a period of disability, right? And everyone at some point in life will have a period of disability on, on some spectrum, whether it's, you know, depression or whether it's, you know, a physical outcome, there will be a level of disconnect, right? And that's where I think if you can tap into and start looking at these things and, and you know, definitely familiarize yourself with his work, um, it can help you. The, yeah, the mind-body connection is it's yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, I think it's priceless. If you can, if you can get into that process of focusing on that, and even too, from the point of view of development, if you're looking at your physique and you really want to develop your physique, if you're just going into the gym and throwing weight around for the sake of throwing your weight around, or following the latest ebook, or getting you know the latest downloadable program off of the net, you're really probably not going to get the results you want. If you learn instead how to walk in every single gym session, completely tuned into that muscle you're about to hit, understanding exactly what it does, how it moves, its function in the body, what muscles, you know, really, um, you know, work to move that, that, that exercise or that movement, you're going to get 10 times the amount of results out of it, right? So it's the same thing that goes with every aspect of life. You know, if you can connect into what's my body telling me what's, you know, and, and connecting on what the brain's trying to probably prevent you from or, or avoid, then, you know, I think you can probably avoid a lot of mishaps and a lot of misfortune in your life. So the divine mind with Dr. John Sano is amazing. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check that out. And Alicia, we, we're aware, you know, we're well over one hour now and we do really want to be respectful of your time. I feel like we could honestly talk forever. <laughs> uh, but um, just before, you know, we head off in a few minutes, please let people know, you know, what are some exciting plans coming up for you for the rest of the year and where can people get in contact with you and everything like that? 
Yeah, sure. So we've taken a brief hiatus off the Competitive Edge podcast, mainly because anyone that's been following us would know that um, Rachel Husser, my very dear friend, and um, you know the, the woman that does the editing behind the scenes, she's the wife of one of my co-hosts, got diagnosed with bowel cancer. So you know, I just want to take a moment to um, to to thank Rachel for everything she's ever done for us, and also to give my you know thoughts, prayers, and love as they hear from me every day. Anyway, to Jared and Rachel, they're still going through that process of um, you know healing, and she's still getting um, treatment. But that's why the competitive of edge has been down but you can usually find us on there and you can obviously search and find you know um, previous you know recordings and and get a whole bunch of just a whole bunch of banter from us on those respects mm. um, otherwise you can find me on my personal instagram which is just alicia gowan's wbff pro then there's my um my pages my business pages which is ellie's angels um fitness and um fit angels world um and you can also get us on our web page, which has got, you know, a lot of information. If you subscribe to our um, email list, you get a lot of value-add um, content coming from there. But the future plans for me are pretty big because we're still going through the process of stability and mobility, and I'm still, you know, obviously continuing to improve everything structurally around my physique. But we are going into, and this is just a pure challenge for me personally, um, and it's to break more fear barriers here. So you'll respect this, I know. Um, I'm doing a novice powerlifting comp at some point. Oh, wow. Yes, in the next six months. And it's purely just, it's not because I'm going to go out there and, and try to win it, although I know me and I'm very competitive and I'm probably going to do one and be like, right, I want to be a world champ one day. <laughs> and off I go. But um, But I'm doing it just to be like, I'm doing it right. I'm squatting and I'm deading and I'm pushing up some barriers, um, you know, mentally to get load, you know, right up there. So at the moment I've stepped into a hybrid power building block, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm really loving it so far. And I'm just trying to stay on, uh, on top of, you know, rig maintenance and the mind body connection. Um, I'm also studying my um, postgraduate diploma in performance nutrition. So that's keeping me incredibly busy and I'm just trying to apply everything as I'm learning it, you know, the, the, both the, the science and the art that is, um, you know, the practitioner's view of, of coaching for comp prep to everything that I'm doing on myself as well as then my team, uh, which has been very interesting. And um, and we're, we're obviously, we were we were considering whether or not I would take a year off, but we're not now. We're going in for a four-peat and I will be building my physique to come back to retain my crown yet again next year. Um, but for the last half of the year, it's very exciting. We've got a lot of travel. We've got our global shows and we've got our final end of the season, which will include the Gold Coast show, um, the New Zealand inaugural show, We've got the UK Pro-Am and then the Atlantic City um, Pro-Am, which rounds out the year. So you'll see me traveling and you'll see our stories on managing that travel throughout the last half of the year. So a lot of things going on. There's never it's probably yeah. <laughs> It's incredible how you managed to handle all that. And we were talk talking behind the scenes how it's not, it's not all how it looks on other people's no. social media as well. It's a lot of work goes into that. I think, um, yeah, I did mention this. I think people sort of sometimes, you know, look at, I think we see this a lot where we see, you know, the juniors come through, they do a show and they say they're a coach, right? It's because they look at, you know, stuff like what we're doing and they go, oh, man, it's so glamorous and she just sees the world and I think that they just holiday and party and live, you know, the high life. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. It's like airports, hotels, red carpets, back to airports, hotels, a few gyms in between and when I can, Tupperware. <laughs> like that's really what it looks like. You know, it's it's really um it's really full on it's more exhausting i think to um manage a team of people coming into a show than it is to prep and, and get on stage yourself um but but i find that more rewarding because i love seeing other people's successes even more than my own so you know for me that i love it i'm passionate about it, it's what i do but if it's not 
actually your passion, I think you would be burnt out pretty quickly. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, you'd have to be living it from it's got to be in your veins, quite literally, to do the schedule and the hectic nature of what is, you know, our business without burning out. You know, and I don't feel like a worker day in my life, to be honest with you. You know, I, I think if I threw anyone else into my life, they'd probably last a day, maybe a week. <laughs> and they'd be, like, they'd be like, give me Red Bull intra- intravenously or tell me your secret because I don't know how the hell you do it. Um, but for me, like, I really don't feel like, yeah, like I, I don't feel it like that. And um. And I think, yeah, like I said, it's because I tapped congruently into my purpose and what I was meant to be doing when I made that decision to cross over. And um, and it isn't as glamorous as people think, but we do try to take our time to see things. And I mentioned to you guys, we're stopping at Turkey on the way home from the UK for a, a four-day holiday, <laughs> a four-day holiday. <laughs> well, you deserve that. every millisecond. <laughs> and we've been engaged for two years because we can't find time to fit a wedding in. So oh, that gives gosh. you some insight. <laughs> <laughs> But thank oh. you so much for having me, guys. I really, really appreciate it and I really enjoyed it. And I hope that, you know, the listeners get some value added out of some of the stuff that we've discussed today. Yeah, of course. It's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. And we have one final question for you, which we always finish the podcast on and we ask our guests. And that is one interesting thing that you learned this week. And it can be related to absolutely anything. Well, I think I, I mentioned this off air which was just the first thing that popped in my head There's probably a few things i could think of but man i'm all about my food right so potato, <laughs> all. potato bread we found potato bread this week what a game changer like my god it tastes amazing it's gluten-free dairy-free vegan friendly for you plant friendly freaks out there you'll love it <laughs> and it is sensational we had it we made like um like an egg white uh, with bacon and avocado on top of it. Oh my sweet Jesus! It is unbelievable. It's a game changer. I shall. What be- is what is the brand? Because I'm sure Jack would love that. I am going to have to feature it. I'm going to tag him <laughs> <laughs> I'll on my Instagram for everyone to to follow. I've actually been getting right into my um. I'm I, I predominantly probably more paleo than anything anyway. Um, because I actually have a few medical conditions that require me to be so and um. I really have been getting into my breads, which I don't usually do, but we've been, so we've been trialing all these different like gluten-free and whatever's. And then we came across this potato bread. I'm like, wow, like <laughs> it's like soft and the texture is great. And oh my gosh, with eggs, you guys are going to have to go find it. Yeah. I'm going to, I bet everyone listening to this now, you're going to be seeing all these potato bread. Bloody <laughs> it's going to be the new trend. <laughs> yeah. New yep. trend. Done something new. <laughs> but yeah, that's my thing. Perfect. Okay. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in for our 41st episode. And thanks so much to Alicia for joining us. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot of it, post it to your Instagram stories. Make sure to tag Alicia's Instagram, myself, Jack, the bodybuilding dietitians, tell your family and friends about it, and we will catch you in the next episode. Thanks guys.